Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. Um, I was I was thinking during worship, uh, I just I had this moment in scripture that kept ringing through my brain. This isn't really my, my sermon tonight, but John 6, there's this moment where Jesus is teaching, and it's a hard teaching, and so that's the response that he gets. Um, some of his disciples up to that point walk away. They leave. They desert him in that moment. And he looks at the disciples, and he says, uh, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter in that moment, this is John 6, toward the end of it, he says, um, he says, Lord, you're the one who has the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? Uh, such a beautiful response. And so if you're new to us, um, I want nothing more than just to be known as, as Jesus' people, all right? The reason why that we gather in this room week after week is because we want to understand what Jesus taught, uh, how he pointed us toward the Father. I am well aware that there's a huge diversity within this room of all different kinds of backgrounds, different economic backgrounds here, different racial backgrounds here, different denominational backgrounds here. So some of you walk in and you're like, this is exactly what I've always experienced in the church that I grew up in. And some of you walk in and you're like, this is alien to what I experienced growing up with anything. I mean, if you came out of the Catholic church, but half my family is Catholic, then this is a very different experience for you. And I just want to tell you our purpose week to week in what we do in this room is look at Jesus' words, try to understand what Scripture tells us about what this life means and why we live it. And that's what we've been talking about the last three weeks. I've been, whether you know it or not, if you've been around, if you're new, awesome. This will make sense to you. But it'll make more sense to you if you've been around the previous couple of weeks because I've been laying a foundation. And the foundation under the house that we're talking about is this. First, you are loved by the creator of the universe in a way that you can't even possibly understand fully. You can try to explore the depths of it. You get, what, maybe 85 years you got on this planet? I, I promise that you will not fully understand it by the time that you're gone, okay? But try anyway. So that's, that's the deal. First and foremost, the, the bottom foundation, you are loved by the creator of the universe and he wants your love returned, just like any good relationship with two people who love each other, okay? And then the second thing that we built on top of that was, was last week we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan where Jesus pinpoints this racism that sits in a man's heart who comes to him and he's trying to talk about religious stuff and, the guy, and Jesus is like, no, let's talk about the hatred that you have that you're carrying around in your heart. And he puts his, his finger right on that. That's what we talked about last week. And so last week was how do we view the other people around us? How do we understand that every human being that we look at is made in the image of God? That you are an image bearer of God himself. A lot of you don't believe that about yourself. You need to. That's what scripture says about who you are. And tonight we're gonna stay, um, we're gonna stay in the parable of the Good Samaritan for one more week because it's connected to this, this greatest commandment. And I'm just gonna spoil my whole sermon right up front, okay? This is my sermon. So you wanna tune out after this? This is, this is my permission, okay? You'll get it right here. Real love involves your head, your heart, and your hands. That's my sermon tonight. Real love involves your head, your heart, and your hands. Now, let's, because I don't want to rely on what we did last week. Let's go back and reread the story again. This is where it comes from. 
One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now let me pause. This is a real story. This is a real interaction with Jesus. This isn't made up by people, okay? This is uh, an eyewitness account of them looking at what happened when Jesus was having conversations. So this is a real moment. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And by the way, this guy is an expert in the law of Moses, okay? So Jesus bounces the question back to him. The man answered, you must Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting two different Old Testament commands, one from Leviticus, one from Deuteronomy, and Jesus says, right, do this and you will live. So the guy's test kind of falls flat at this point because Jesus had bounced it back to him. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Again, let me pause the text for just a second. So if one of the greatest commands is to love our neighbor, this is the follow-up question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds to that with with a teaching story called a parable. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan came along And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Notice all the detail in this. We're going to come back to that. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. It's Matthew 22. These are Jesus' instructions on how we are to love. So last week I focused in on that spe- the specific part of him addressing a Samaritan and the racial hatred that sat between the Jewish people and the Samaritans and how we can understand that in our day and age. But this week I want to focus on what this Samaritan did in this story. It matters a lot. Now, before we start like me actually diving in, I want you to think in your brain right now, okay, please play along. I really want you to do this, even though nobody can tell whether you do it or not. But I want you to think of a name in your brain of someone that you could call. I mean, if you got, if you got in trouble, you got beaten up on the road, this is someone you could call at 2 a.m. who would come get you, come help you. Got a name in your head? I hope. I hope you have someone that would play that role for you if you got in trouble at 2 a.m. All right. Now, think about a quality or two that sits in that person. Why would they be the person that you'd call? Again, rhetorical question, don't answer out loud, but I want you to get a couple of those answers in your head. I I would love for you to trade those with each other later. Who did you think of? What are the qualities that come out of that? Because I'm guessing that some of those are, it's a safe person. I know they're not gonna judge me in that space. It's someone who has time for me. I know they're not too busy. Someone who listens, someone who understands. Like I, I can anticipate some of the answers that you would throw out if we did that right now. 
These are some of the concepts that Jesus is trying to get at when he's talking about someone who loves the Lord with all of their heart, soul, and mind, and strength can't help but for that kind of love to bleed out into the other people around them. You just can't help it. It soaks into the people around you. That's the way that it's supposed to work. We unfortunately live in a, and I'm gonna, what I'm gonna call a not my problem culture, right? Like it, it's very difficult because problems are messy and we have a very, we're supposed to have a very clear boundary line of well you got your issues and I got my issues and I, I got enough of my issues where I don't really need to carry your issues. So you keep, you keep your issues on the other side of the line. That would be really, really good for me. Not my problem culture. There's a moment in Genesis 4, because this is a really old sin, you guys, where Cain kills Abel, the first story of murder that we have in Scripture. And God comes to Cain and says, where's your brother? And do do you know what Cain's response is to the God of the universe in that moment? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's guardian? Is this my problem, God? Let me tell you this, the resounding answer in scripture is yes. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. Their problems, like it or not, are your problems, are my problems. Your life bleeds into my life. That's the way that we were designed. It's way easier, you guys, not to do that. It's way easier to draw the lines and be like, your problems are your problems. And hear me tonight. There are obviously appropriate places to draw boundaries. Some of y'all are in weird and difficult family situations or other stuff, and so I'm not not preaching no boundaries tonight. What I am saying is we've gotten so boundary safe that it's easy for me to be the priest who walks alongside the road and looks at you and says, not my problem. I got enough going on. I don't need to own that. And that isn't the teaching of Scripture. Let me give you just a few verses from the New Testament. Listen to this language, just let it roll over you, all right? Ephesians 4, forgive each other. Ephesians 5, submit to each other. Hebrews 3.13, help each other. James 5, confess your sins to each other. Ephesians 4, be patient with each other. Galatians 5, serve each other. Galatians 6, care for each other. Romans 5, admonish each other. Romans 14, strengthen each other. Hebrews 10, spur on each other. Galatians 6, hear this one. Carry each other's burdens. You guys, your problems are my problems. The command there is that I am supposed to help you carry some of the things that that you're having a hard time carrying. And you might say, hey, Ben, well, then how does that work? I got all this junk myself. That's the cool thing, you guys. Sometimes I'm walking through a season of life where I feel strong. I feel like I can put 20 extra pounds on my back. And there are those moments where I can, I can carry some of your load. And you guys, I walk through seasons of life that suck and where I'm like, I, I cannot carry the load that's been given to me right now. And it's so cool to have people come alongside me and be like, I can. I can. Do you know what it's like to live in that kind of community? I'm gonna guess 70% of you would say, nope, I actually don't. I've not come out of friend groups that do that for each other. I've not come out of a family that does that for each other. Man, I pray you find that here this year or we're not loving each other right. I should be able to carry your load sometimes. You should be able to carry mine and that brings us together. It locks us together. So tonight, I want to ask a really simple question. I think I have the simplest sermon in the world for you tonight, okay? 
How did the Samaritan love? What did he do? Well, let me give you three points because I preach and that's what preachers do, okay? Three points. I'm gonna race through the first two and then I'm gonna spend some more time on the, on the third one. But the first one is this, he saw the need. He saw the need, and you might say, well, that's all of them saw the need. The first priest, the second priest, and it sounds like a joke when I say it like that, but if the first priest saw the need, the second priest saw the need, and the Samaritan all saw the need. Right, but when I thought about this little piece in this story, I thought, we, man, we live in a time and a culture where this piece is hard by itself. I mean, the average person right now walking around, eyes on phone, earbuds in, like so they don't see you, they don't hear you. We, we have insulated ourselves a lot from average social interaction. Seeing the need is, is the first step. So that's the question I put forward you, to you tonight. Are you the kind of person who has enough awareness to even know the needs of the people around you? Are you putting yourself in the kinds of relationships where other people know you well enough to know what you need? Or do you hide behind the, how's your day? Good. How's class? Good. How's the start of the school year? It's good. Me too. Jesus, all of the time, ministered in these places like this. I mean, one of the things in this story, do you notice, we have no idea where the Good Samaritan was headed, okay? He was traveling though. Y'all don't travel for no reason. All right, this, is, this guy is on a multi-day journey with a donkey, okay? He's headed somewhere. He's got tickets to something, okay? And in this moment, he stops. He sees the need, and whatever his plans were, I mean, I, again, it's a fictional story that Jesus is making up, but whatever the plans were, they were put on hold in that moment for the emergency that he saw. Do you live that kind of a life? where your plans could be put on hold, where you have enough margin in your life to be able to address something that's going on in somebody else. I just wrote down that the scriptures that are up here are just three different, I mean, they're all over the New Testament, but these are just three moments of interruption with Jesus. In Luke 8, Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus's daughter. And that's the moment where a woman who's been bleeding, she has a, she has a, a medical problem where like her menstruation won't stop. She's been bleeding for years. And while he's on his way to heal this woman's daughter, she comes up and grabs his cloak, and she's healed. And in that moment, he turns around and he addresses her, and we have this beautiful interaction and moment between him and her while he's on the way to somewhere else. It's a total interruption moment. We see it with the paralytic who was uh, lowered down in front. He's in the middle of a sermon, just like this, and suddenly stuff starts falling from the ceiling, and a paralyzed guy gets lowered by his friends into the middle of the house, right at his feet, complete and total interruption. Isn't it interesting that we don't have any record of Jesus' sermon in that moment? Just the healing. It was actually the interruption moment that was the important one there. How many of those did I miss today, you guys? Do I live a kind of interruptible life where I can see other people's needs? Zacchaeus was the other one, Luke 19. Jesus is walking and sees Zacchaeus in a tree. He's just, like, he's just hanging out above the crowd and Jesus stops in that moment and says, can we do dinner together? How about your house? Okay, this moment that's on the way, we see him all the time in Jesus' life. Am I too preoccupied to see other people's needs is the question. Number two, moving right along, he felt compassion. 
He felt compassion, and this is where love for him or faith for him moved out of his head and is moving also through his heart. There is a connection between the two, and there doesn't have to be. I mean, there does have to be, but oftentimes we pretend those two things are separate. He felt compassion for someone else's needs. Again, in a not-my-problem culture, do you have the ability to feel what other people are walking through? This, the other two priests that we're walking by did not have for this man. But again, we see commands all over the New Testament. Colossians 3, as God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassion, gentleness, humility. There's a long list, but compassion is right there. 1 Peter 3, 8, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate. James, James has a lot to say about this. We're gonna see him a lot tonight. But James 1.27 says this, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and caring for widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Ah, do you have compassion? Do you have compassion for what sits around you? You need it. So this is my question for you on this one. Again, it's a very simple, simple question, but have you outgrown your ability to feel for others? I think as kids, we have this, this, this is innate. This is something that we grow up with. And I think sometimes we force ourselves to grow out of it because it's just too much hurt to feel with other people. It's hard to make ourselves vulnerable. Do you have a soft heart for what other people are walking through around you? Can you feel compassion? Number three, he took action. Remember what we started with? Real love involves your head, your heart, and your hands. You can't just grab one of those three, it has to be all three of them. And this guy takes action. He takes action in this moment. Now, we also live, we don't just live in a not my problem culture, we also live in a thoughts and prayers culture, all right? No shortage of memes on the thoughts and prayers out there, right? Because that's the thing that you do when, when you see a, a catastrophe in somebody's life, thoughts and prayers, done, boom, it's done. My thoughts and my prayers are out there, okay? To be clear, I believe firmly, and so does James apparently, he says the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. I believe prayer absolutely changes things. If something is going on in your life and you tell me, I will pray for you, I will pray for that regularly. I believe that God uses that, uses prayer. But do you wanna know what else James says? James doesn't just say that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. He also says this, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing what good does that do? What James is trying to get at here is, hey, in thoughts and prayers culture, you might also be the answer to the prayer. Should you be praying for each other? Absolutely. Should you be praying for anyone who's having an issue? Yes. But could you also consider that you might be the answer to that prayer? It's possible that God may use you in that capacity. And so that just lands us into this question of what do we do? How do we love like this? And especially in a social media culture, you guys, I'm, I am gonna sound like the old guy in the room for a second, so just forgive me as I gray up my hair and, and do the get off my lawn speech, all right? But in social media culture, 
It is so easy to just be angry about whatever is trending on Twitter, and you share your opinion, and you're like, I guess I raised awareness for it. I'm angry that immigrants aren't being treated well, and so you put your opinion out there, and and at the end of the day, you feel justified because you put something out there, and you have done nothing to help the actual cause that even sits within our city. And so here's my question to us. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, all right, and we are called to love other people, then what does it mean? Before you blast that thing out on social media, I might ask you to sit down and do a Google search on the needs that exist in Bloomington Normal of an immigrant single mom who doesn't know how she's gonna do childcare for her kids that you might actually be able to make a connection with and change her life as opposed to just feeling better about yourself in a heartbeat. You guys, what good is it to have faith if it's not accompanied by our hands and what our hands can do. I mean, the, the whole story that Jesus is telling, did, did you notice, okay, let me back out of that for just a second. I'm out of my rant for just a second, okay? Um, when it comes to telling stories, all of us have a different pace, and stories matter, stories are really important. So you have those friends who are terrible at telling stories because they, they provide no information at all. So they're like, almost got in a car accident today. And you're like, just a game of 20 questions? Like where? Uh, was somebody else going fast? Were they in a car? Was it a dog? Like I don't, I don't know anything from that information. It just, that's what it's like. You have other people who are way off on the other extreme where they're like, um, so this morning I got up and I got dressed and, and it's, you know, 20 minutes later, you're like, what are we even talking about right now? Like it takes longer to tell the story than the story actually took to happen as you're participating in it. Notice in here, in our story tonight, where Jesus spends almost all of his detail. He races through this beginning. Guy gets beaten up on the side of the road, priest walks by, temple, a Levite walks by, he's a temple assistant. He's racing through this story and then he gets to the Samaritan. Almost all of the detail of this story is in the Samaritan. Let me go back in case you missed it. Here's all the things the Samaritan did. Instead of crossing to the other side, he got close. He soothed this man's wounds with olive oil and wine. He bandaged his wounds, transports the man with his donkey, takes him to an inn, takes care of him personally, spends the night there, gives the innkeeper instructions, and the money that he gave him, by the way, was two, two days worth of wages. So I want you to think about that for a second. How much, how much it sits in your paycheck from two full days of work and plunking that money down and saying, hey, that's on me, and if there's more, there's more where that came from if you have a greater need. He promises to own the cost if it's greater than that. This is where Jesus spends almost all of his time in this story. Why does he provide all that detail? Because he's trying to like, just absolutely hit the point home for you that it matters that he's personally invested. He cares for this guy, peace. But he does not just say, and the Samaritan helped him. No, he's like soothed his wounds and bandaged him and put him on his donkey, went, did, went through all of these things for him out of his own personal care. Real love, you guys, involves the head, the heart, and the hands. That's the way that it works. And so if I go back to, whoops, I'm going the wrong direction. If I go back to, oh my gosh, I'm way back. <laughs> Ignore all of that. Let me go back to here. He took action, and this action was costly and personal. This action was costly, and it was personal. 
And you guys, real love is always costly and it's personal. Don't tell me that you have a really good friend that you can't call because you're stranded with a flat tire at one in the morning. Don't tell me that you have a really good friend who won't listen if you've had a hard day. You don't have a really good friend. Because real love isn't sterile like that. Real love, your hands get dirty. It's messy, which is really difficult. You guys, I, I mean, I've, I've told you already this year, I'm in, I'm in a marriage that's been going on 24 years, and in that, love is messy, and it's difficult. And there are moments when you disagree where you don't wanna argue, but you're like, you know what? Because I love you, we have to argue. <laughs> like, we, like, I love you enough to want to figure this out with you. It would be way easier to be like, nope, I'm gonna wall myself off, I'm just gonna put up my wall of protection and I'm done. But that's not what love is. Love gets its hands dirty. Love comes at a cost. And again, I'll say this, if you're in a friendship or relationship where there isn't a cost, it isn't love. Because love always has a cost. And so in this, it's deeply costly and it's deeply personal for the Samaritan. The action that he took, that he took was personal. And I'm reminded of this moment with Jesus. Uh, it's in Matthew 8, this moment with a leper. I don't know if you guys know anything about leprosy, skin disease back in the day, and that's why they had leper colonies, because you could get it by contact, or at least that's what they thought, so they, they would take the lepers and they would put them in their own colony. And so it's just shocking to think about if, if you developed a rash, just on an average day like today, you developed a small rash on your skin, that was the end, you guys. Not only were you headed toward death, but it was immediate social outcast. Immediate, get out, get to the leper colony. Those are the only people that you can be around. If you walked into town, you had to yell, unclean, I'm unclean, so other people could cross the street to get away from you. That was your life. And in Matthew 8, we have this beautiful moment with Jesus where he's having a conversation up close with a leper. And the leper says to him, I know that if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Matthew 8, 3 says Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing, be clean. That's what Jesus modeled for us. We serve a God, you guys, who touched lepers, put his hands on them. I mean, that's, that's the entire story of Scripture of what God did for us. He could have sat in his white marble throne, but he didn't. He designed us, and even after we walked away from him, he's still involved with us, loves us, wants us, comes after us, got his hands dirty for us. John 3.16, one of the most basic uh, verses in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world, he gave what? 50 bucks? He gave his son. He gave his one and only son. Talk about getting your hands dirty. Talk about it being personal. Talk about it having a cost. You guys, the God of the universe has modeled love for you. Deeply personal. Deeply costly. And he said, this is how I want you to love each other. This is what it means to love your neighbor. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and you love your neighbor that same way. It's easy to love ourselves. That comes pretty natural to us. And I think that's why he tacks on there, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Like the as yourself comes easy. We're all kind of selfish, so it's like I know what my needs are. I want to serve my own needs. And Jesus is like, sweet, love your neighbor that way. You spent a lifetime worshiping yourself. Don't do that anymore. Learn to lift up other people to be in that position. And here's what you'll find, you guys. I don't know why it works this way. It's just a spiritual law that works. When you begin to worship yourself less, when you begin to focus on yourself less, when you begin to really pour yourself out into others, there is this intimacy, this connection that happens. I know some of you have been burned by the church. Me too, me too. But I'll also tell you this. The most beautiful experiences I've had in community over the past 25 years are when we didn't know how we were gonna make ends meet and then suddenly someone's like, you know what? We heard that you had a need and suddenly that need is filled. And it's like, what? I'm speechless every time. I could stand up here for a day and tell you the number of stories. You guys, I am not a self-made man. I am not. God, through the lives of other people, has helped raise our kids. God, through the lives of other people, has kept food on our table. God, through the lives of other people, has helped keep me sane, right, when I need to talk and when I need to pour myself out. God has blessed us in ways that I don't even understand, and it happens over and over and over. I mean, sometimes he has done a few things just absolutely directly, but oftentimes he uses you. So are you open to being that to other people, and are you open to receiving that? Because a not-my-problem culture cuts you off from all of that. And what it leaves you in is just more of yourself. Two quick stories for you. One would be um, uh, uh, some friends of ours that we got to know, Joe and I got to know years ago. And awesome Jesus followers, like when, when God tells them there's a direction that they need to go, they go. That's the way that it's been their whole lives. And so it's awesome to hang out with people like that because it stretches your faith. Again, I hope you have people like that. If you don't, I hope you find them this year. But one of the things that God was beginning to pull them toward, their hearts were being pulled toward adoption. And it's just a beautiful story. And I mean, like, I, again, I'll, I'm gonna tell just a little bit, a little shell of this story. Um, but they, like, God was really especially pulling them to adopt girls with special needs from China. Um, because the stories there were really, really difficult and they saw the need. And they saw this picture of a girl and they genuinely felt that God had affirmed, this is your daughter. This is your daughter who's sitting in China right now. Go get her. And the first time that they got video of this girl, they didn't even understand what they were looking at. She took it to a doctor and he said, oh yeah, she just, she's extremely severely mentally handicapped. And, um, and this was a shocker. I mean, this was in none of her paperwork. It was, it was, none of this had they known, and they were pretty far in the process, and they'd been praying for this, and they felt like God affirmed all of this, and then it was like, they were like, this, this is, this will change everything in our lives. She would never get beyond an 18-month-old's ability to process the world. That was, that would be the furthest that she would develop, and this was the news that they got, and everybody around them was like, hey, the Christians around them were like, hey, you guys, you don't, you don't have to do this, and they were like, this is our daughter. God's already confirmed, confirmed this is our daughter. Her name's Libby. She's 16, and they love her like there's no tomorrow, and if you hear my friend talk about it, he will say, I'm so embarrassed of being afraid of what God was gonna bring into our life because she has been the biggest blessing that we have ever, we have received far more than we've given. 
And I look, at, I look at people who love in a way that is costly and personal, and God's like, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of the money that you need. I'll take care of the emotional stability that you need. I'll take care of all of it. We got a guy named Dave Jane from Washington who's coming and speaking at our fall retreat. I want you to meet him. Do you know why? Because Dave's church, uh, is Connect Church in Washington, um, any, actually, anybody from Washington? No? Okay, I thought maybe. Um, but their church, their church back in 2014, most of you probably heard about the Washington tornado that rolled through, just an awful tornado that rolled through the center of town and destroyed just a huge path. I mean, uh, we have family in Washington, so we, like, we knew people who lost their homes. We went over and helped with cleanup. There was all this stuff that was going on. It was terrible. But one of the things that happened in that moment, there was a used car dealership that employed a bunch of people in town, and it got destroyed. And it was right next to this property that Connect Church, who was, they were growing at the time, had just bought. And uh, I, if, if, I, if Dave's gonna use this story at the retreat, then just pretend you didn't hear it from me, okay? <laughs> but here, I know this from a distance. I didn't know Dave at all when this happened. But the car company said, hey, we can't do this. We can't rebuild. We can't take months off to rebuild and fire everybody and then hire them all back. We're just gonna have to close. And it was a huge hit to the community, especially in the midst of all this other stuff. Now, Connect Church had just bought the Walmart beside that, and it was untouched. And, so, and they were just getting ready to move in. And so as a church, they were like, you know what? Take our building for a year or however long it takes for you to rebuild. We don't want the people to, like, we have said that we are a church for the city, so this is what we're going to do. And so they gave their building for a certain period of time over to this dealership while they rebuilt another building so all those people wouldn't have to lose their jobs and there wouldn't, this thriving business in the middle of the community wouldn't have to close. And it was so refreshing to see a church be like, hey, we can meet a need. It was costly for them and it was personal for them. But they're like, hey, if we're a church that's for the city, then perhaps we should put our money where our mouth is. I'm excited to bring a guy like that in to speak. I'm excited for him to help us know how to love our campus. I'm excited for him to help coach us on what it means to love deeply and personally in a costly way. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm inviting you guys into that. I don't just mean the retreat. I'm inviting you guys into a way of life where you are not safeguarding yourself from the beautiful community that Jesus wants you to step into. Is it risky? Yeah. Will you get burned? Sometimes. It's worth it anyway. It's worth it anyway to love like that. Let me go back to my last slide. Real love involves your head, it involves your heart, and it involves your hands. But to be clear, it is not always in that order. That sounds super clean to be like, oh yeah, what I know I begin to feel and I have compassion and then I serve. I just, as one last caveat on this sermon, I gotta tell you, they're all jumbled together. Sometimes you serve because you see the need and you don't have compassion, but as you serve, the compassion comes and your head catches up behind. Sometimes your heart goes out first and the other two are there. Sometimes your head knows it. Either way, I can tell you guys, it's always these three and eventually they will connect. So you don't have to wait on your heart to jump in and serve. Sometimes your heart follows along afterwards. But either way, if these three aren't connected, and I could interchange love and faith here. Real faith involves your head, your heart, and your hands. Real love involves your head, your heart, and your hands. This is the way that Jesus taught us to love and to live with each other.
I want you guys to know what it means to see the need, to see it, to feel the compassion, and to get your hands dirty. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray for an awareness in this room. There's a lot of eyes in this room, and so there's a lot of eyes to see the needs that sit around us in our apartments and the places that we work. So God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would challenge us to pop our earbuds out when we need to listen and raise our eyes up when we need to see. And for those in this room who've outgrown their compassion, God, I pray that you'd help them find it again. And I pray that we would develop a reputation on this campus for loving our city well, representing you well. All of this in your name, Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.